Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we come to you now and ask, Lord, that you would teach your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, now, what we're doing now is we've been studying this first really exhaustive teaching on the part of the Lord Jesus. He goes up into a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mountain for that reason, really for no other reason. But really what's important is not where he was when he was doing this teaching, but what was driving him, what was really pushing him into doing this teaching. Because really what he's doing here is he's rectifying, he's correcting wrong understandings, wrong understandings. Where did these wrong understandings come from? They came, first of all, from the scribes and the Pharisees. Pharisees because they misled the people. They mistaught the people. But secondarily, they came from their own hearts because our own hearts are corrupt, as it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, where the description of our hearts is not very pretty. It says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Apart from that, we have very nice hearts. Anyway, essentially, there's been no change in the heart of man, and this was what God said about the heart of man way back in Genesis chapter 6, before he brought the flood, when he said in Genesis 6, 5, Genesis 6, 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the book of Job describes man's heart in Job 15, 16, Job 15, 16, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. It says that. Man's heart is filthy. So it reminds me of the Uber driver last Friday night when I told him that he was a dirty, rotten sinner. He said to me, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> I said, well, according to this passage here, Job 15, 16, man, you can say, okay, man's not dirty and rotten. He's just abominable and filthy, apart from the kid. But man's terrible state, this problem with us started before we were even born. David said in Psalm 51, 5, Psalm 51, 5, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so what's happened to the human race is that God, then he looks down and he tries to find someone who's good. And it says in Psalm 53, 1, Psalm 53, 1, he says, first of all, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and done abominable iniquity. There's none that doeth good. 
God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there was any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That pretty much settles it. The passage here in Psalm 51 really gives the picture that God's trying really hard to find someone among men who is good. And he says he can't find them. All he finds is corruption. Is there anybody out there who's seeking God? Is there anybody out there? So then again, I asked the Uber driver, you know, about his relationship with God. And he said, I'm good. I'm good. I said, well, that's funny. God says there's no one good. And in fact, the Lord Jesus said in Mark 10, 18, Mark 10, 18, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that's God. In other words, if you don't recognize him God, then you're really off base. So in other words, in the man department, all that's found is a corrupt heart. So this means that when we kind of teach ourselves, so to speak, without the direction of God, we're really trusting in our own heart. And what God says about that in Proverbs 28, 26, Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And this is what the Lord was driving the Lord. He could see these people were mistaught, they were misled, they were being led by their own hearts. And so he says, they need truth, and I'm coming to give them truth. And so when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount here, Everything he said, it just cut right across what the leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees had taught the people. They had taught them something totally different, and it seemed right to them, like it says in Proverbs 14.2. Proverbs 14.2, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So what happened is that when he was doing this teaching here, it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem right in verse 3 to say that the person was really happy if he's poor in spirit. I mean, this cuts right across. It didn't seem right in verse 4 when it says that a person is really happy when he's mourning. That didn't seem right. And it doesn't seem right when the verse that we're going to cover this morning in verse 5 when he said, blessed are the meek. How can it be a good thing to be meek? What does it even mean to be meek? Well, what is meekness? It's being like a mouse, you know, and you run away when there's any, you know, you're afraid of everything. Well, first of all, meekness is built or based on humility. This is important to see because these are the people that God wants to be with. And he says that in Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15, where God says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So there's God. He's up in heaven. It's high. It's lofty up there. And he's holy. And he's basically saying, I live with people who are contrite, like broken, and of a humble spirit. So if a person wants to live with God, that's the group he has to get become a part of. So the question is, what is the Lord Jesus talking about when he says, meek, blessed are the meek? In order to see this, in order to see what he's talking about, you have to look at this verse in the context, especially of the verses all the way up to 10. So in other words, all of the verses, the blessed are verses here, from verses 3 through 9, they have as their focus what's coming up, which is in verse 10 and 11. And in 10 and 11, you see what the state of meekness is really talking about. Because in 10 and 11, it says, blessed are they that are 
persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile or hate you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So this is the context here in these verses 10 and 11 that you have to put or frame the verses 3 through 9 in because what it's really saying here is that the state or condition of meekness is really talking about when we are persecuted unjustly, when we are slandered unjustly, all because we're followers of the Lord Jesus. So when you put verse 5 in that context of being persecuted and slandered falsely for the sake of the Lord, then it comes out in verse 5 something like this. Blessed are the meek when they are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when they are reviled, when they have all manner of evil spoken against them for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Happened to you? You have a story to tell about when you were persecuted and hated and had evil spoken against you? It has me. Anybody else besides me? Okay, one, two. You guys got great lives here. <laughs> the rest, anyway. So um, the point is that someone knew you were a Christian, and that was the devil and the demons. And they can certainly arrange in you to be hated and spoken against. And because it's very clear that, you know, we go through life and we say, it's that person who's really my enemy, it's that person my enemy. But the Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickednesses in dark places. Okay, now, when you're mistreated, and I assume you've all been mistreated, you just didn't all raise your hands. Okay, but let's talk about how you and I feel when we're persecuted and we've had all manner of evil spoken against us falsely. I mean, when we're wrong, the first thing that you and I feel is that we want to rise up and defend ourselves and fight back, get even, right? Well, this is where verse 4 is coming in. Verse 4 comes in and it stops us and says, wait you just a minute. Because verse 4 does not say, blessed are they that rise up and defend themselves because they're going to be avenged. See, verse 4 says that we've been persecuted and wrong. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we look at verse 4 and we say, oh, well, I can't do that. Not in this instance. This is special, you know. Or we might feel when we're wrong that, Oh, no, I have to restore my good name. We have to restore our good name. We've been slandered. And this is where verse 4 comes in again. It says, wait a minute. And verse 4 doesn't say, blessed are they that correct the wrong and have their reputation restored from having their name dragged in the mud. It says, blessed are the meek in this situation. And we look at verse 4 and we say, oh, no, it doesn't apply to my situation. It must be a wrong translation. i got to get a better translation than that, yeah. Or another one is, when we've been wrong, then we feel like we've got to rise up and set the record straight. It's really bothering us that the record is not straight. We've got to set the record straight. And that's where verse 4 comes in again. It doesn't say, blessed are they that rise up and set the record straight. They'll be justified. It says, blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. So when we look at this, what it's saying here in the context of us being wronged or persecuted and slandered against, it falls right in line with some verses that we'll come to a little later, who knows how long, in verse 39 through 41, when it says, I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law, and boy, 
I could tell you there's nothing more offensive than receiving a lawsuit. Anyway, if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And it set this record straight. See, it reminds me, painfully reminds me of what happened about 20 years ago. So what happened about 20 years ago is that our company was told by one of our largest customers they're going to have an audit, quality audit. So we worked and prepared for it. And, and the quality auditor came. I really get along with him real well. Mohammed came. And Mohammed gave us what we thought was an unfair audit. Wrote us up for this or that. We felt that we were treated unfairly. We were determined not to sit back and take that. Oh, no. We were going to set the record straight over weeks. We put together this notebook. It was a big effort with all the points of how he was wrong. It was wrong, it was wrong. And you know what we titled the notebook? Setting the record straight. <laughs> oh, that was one of the worst mistakes we ever made. Hey, let me tell you, it was not received well by our customer. And all that I can say right now today is I'm glad it was 20 years ago, and I wish it was 50 years ago. Anyway, but I just wish that I had listened to this verse at that time and just took the wrong, because it started a war that never ended. There was no peace between Muhammad and us, and because... It says in Psalm 37, 11, Psalm 37, 11, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. It says peace. Now, when the Lord Jesus came here to earth, he actually had a specific group of people that he was sent to. And he was sent to preach the gospel to. And it was kind of amazing this happened in his life. But anyways, where he was sent and who he was sent to is detailed for us in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61.1, where it says in Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed. Anointed always means commission. The Lord has anointed or commissioned me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound. Now this is so dramatic, this verse, because there's this day in his life, in the Lord's life, when he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, and there's an attendant there, a sees him and says, oh, you know, here's a new person here, let's give him this scripture to read, and they give him the scripture, it's this scripture, and he reads it, it says in Luke 4, 16, Luke 4, 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he'd opened the book, found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, it says. It goes on, and then it says he closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all the ones in the synagogue were on him, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. A lot of drama. This is being quoted from the Greek version of the Old Testament, which changed the word meek to poor, which shows it's equivalent, meek and poor. Now, what happens here, he's coming to preach the gospel to the poor, and as is always the case, where you have this verse, as blessed are the meek, it cuts across what man believes because Man's natural without God. Man is natural. We're natural. Our corrupt hearts, our deceitful hearts, it's natural. And what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, 1 Corinthians 2.14, is that we don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. 
because they're spiritually discerned. So it means natural man does not understand the spiritual things. Natural man has no interest in the spiritual thing. Natural man is dead to spiritual things. Natural man doesn't value spiritual things. He basically thinks that spiritual things are crazy, and he wants nothing to do with them. It says here, blessed are the meek. And meekness is important for us. Why? If there was no other verse in the Bible, if there was no other state in the Bible, statement in the Bible, then one, this one statement tells us why meekness is so important to us, and it's the Lord speaking about himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Matthew eleven twenty nine, when he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Very important what he said. The Lord didn't often speak about himself, but here's one of the rare times when he does, when he says, I am meek. And that meant that he is the embodiment of meekness. You want to know what meekness is? Look at the Lord Jesus. This is what also is emphasized to us in Galatians 4.19. Galatians 4.19, when it says, My little children, of whom I travail again, until Christ be formed in you. In Romans 8.29, 8.29, it speaks about us being conformed to the image of his Son. And Philippians 2.5 says, Let his mind be in you. And 1 John 3, 2 speaks about we shall be like him, just like the him, you know, then we shall be what we would be, should be, and we shall be what we would be. In other words, to be like Jesus, to be like the Lord Jesus is our goal. It's the purpose of our life. He says, I'm meek. That means that meekness is on our priority list. Now, so let's look at what he said. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Matthew eleven twenty nine. First of all, he says, "Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek." That means we have a calling. Our calling from the Lord Jesus and our goal and our purpose is to be meek and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you means He's called us to be like Him. And then He says, "So learn of me." It means we need to study him. It means we need to learn what does it mean to be meek because we're supposed to be meek. So he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. So here he is giving us the essential characteristic of what meekness is. Meekness is being lowly of heart, lowly of heart. Now, being lowly of heart has to do with how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves. Being meek means that we do not perceive ourselves as being above any other person. It's very interesting, the English word meek, the Anglo-Saxon derivation of this word meek. Meek comes from an English Anglo-Saxon root meaning that means equal. Equal, mises, means equal. In other words, a man that is meek feels that he is equal to every other man. And there is no man that he feels superior to. A meek man sees a homeless person on the strength and he says, I am equal to that man. That's what meekness is. So so meekness has to do with self-perception, how he perceives ourselves, how a man sees himself compared to others. 
equal, not superior. And this concept is what is called in the Bible the spirit of meekness, the spirit of meekness in Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1, where in this context of not seeing himself as superior to any, Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, so here's a man who's fallen. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, looking at yourself, lest thou also be tempted. That means that when another believer falls into some horrible sin, we are in the spirit of meekness to never think that, oh, well, I would never do that. Not me, like Peter did in Matthew 26, 33. We look at the Lord to see what we should be. We look at Peter to see what we shouldn't be. Not really, but anyway. Peter in 26, 33, Matthew 26, 33. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. What's he doing there? He's giving us the perfect picture of the opposite of meekness is what he's doing. He looks at everybody else and he says, I'm superior to everyone else, because they could all be offended to you, not me. So we can see from this that meekness has to do with how we see ourselves and compare ourselves with other people. The spirit of meekness is to consider thyself correctly and realize we're not superior. And this is what the Lord meant when he calls himself lowly of heart, because he's saying that if there's a lineup of men I'm the lowly of heart. There's a lineup of hearts. I'm the lowly. I'm the low one. This is the reason why a meek man doesn't get angry. Why? Because an angry person rises up against the the person who he's angry at. He wants to crush him, step on him. A meek man sees himself above no one, and he doesn't become angry because he just patiently endures the wrong that's been done against him. Now, the Lord Jesus brought out this difference between a man who was not meek and a man that was meek when he described two very different men in Luke 18.10. Luke 18.10, when he said two men went up in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, just kind of keep in mind as we go through this here, the difference between a man who is meek and a man who is not meek. Okay, first of all, he says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give all tithes of all I possess. And then the Lord turns and he talks about the other one. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes up to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All right, so here's the two that he's just laid out for us as comparison. Now he makes his comment about them. I tell you, the publican, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now here comes the principle. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the Pharisee's not meek because he sees himself as superior to others. He says, I'm not as other men are. He's not meek because he was not lowly of heart, like the Lord described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. On the other hand, the publican was meek because he saw that he was superior to no other person. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the key difference 
if the Lord was calling out between the Pharisee and the publican. It's this issue of meekness, and that's why he said in Luke 18, 14, Luke 18, 14, the person who exalts himself is going to be put down, but the person who humbles himself is going to be exalted. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 